and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Scripture today, John 21, 1 through 18. So later, Jesus appeared to the disciples besides the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed Twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Uh, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing at all. Story of my life. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple who loved Peter said, I know this is a little off script, but every time I read this, when John says this, if John wrote it, I, always, I think it's the same energy as um, Princess Bride, where he's like, my name is Inigo Montoya. You, you shot my father. You must die. I did, yeah, prepared to die. Yeah, thank you. So anyways, I think that's the same energy. Um, so then the disciple, Jesus loves, said to Peter, it's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped to work. Which, Lindsay, I don't understand if they're naked fishing or... <laughs> because I got super confused. It's like, are you naked? And then you put on clothes to jump in the water? So, sorry. You're getting an out loud, out loud dialogue of what goes through my head. Yeah. So <laughs> sorry. So, anyways, I don't know if they're naked or not, but then he clothes himself, and he jumped in the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went abroad and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now, come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> we got to naked at verse uh, eight, and I was like, we still got 10 verses. We're going to be, <laughs> we're going to be here a minute. Um, oh, I love that. Um, I want to take a minute before we jump in. Uh, it has been a wild, really, week and a half, two weeks. Um, and I, a lot of you have asked, um, how do we pray for Israel and Gaza and all that's going on uh, in another place in the world? And so I have two things for you. Uh, the first is on our uh, Instagram this week, I guess on all social media, um, we put a prayer that came from the Book of Common Prayer, uh, which means for hundreds and hundreds of years, when things like this have happened, this is how the church has prayed. And so it's like, I, for me, there's something that happens when we connect our words to words from saints from like long, long, long ago. Uh, I need that in my soul because I don't always have words. And so that would be a great resource. Um, and then I want to pray uh, through uh, three prayers that uh, came from, we talk about the Lectio 365 app here a lot. If you haven't heard us talk about it uh, and you are looking for a way to read the Bible every day, uh, Lectio 365 is the best thing I know out there. So, um, and they provided a, resources with, a resource this week with three prayers and a series of Bible readings and stuff. If you're finding yourself um, really, really struggling, that would be a great place to check. So uh, if you will, let's, let's pray together for just a moment and then we'll, we'll jump in. So God of all nations, we pray today for Israel and for Gaza. Uh, we pray for those who are grieving the sudden loss of loved ones, uh, captives, and those whose homes have been destroyed. We pray for a miraculous de-escalation of this conflict, asking for reason to overcome rage and revenge. Uh, we also ask that other nations would be restrained from escalating the situation further. Uh, and we pray for effective international peacemaking, seeking diplomacy over war mongering on every side. Blessed are the merciful and the peacemakers. Come, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so we are in a series of talks uh, here at the Vineyard uh, that we're calling Wilderness, um, where really for weeks we are just exploring one single question, week after week after week, uh, and it is this question, is God with us? Is God with us? With us. Uh, today, we're going to explore this by um, talking through some of the like stages and seasons of faith or what it looks like to follow Jesus over a lifetime in different stages uh, and seasons. Um, but to jump in, uh, is everyone familiar with Murphy's Law? Do you know what I'm talking about? The anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Are you with me? Um, this week, I hate that law because it feels sad. Like, it might not. You know, we don't know if it's going to go wrong. Um, but uh, this week I got curious about who Murphy was that made Murphy's Law and what made him so smart. And it turns out he was a literal rocket science, uh, scientist. So he is that smart. Um, Murphy's name is Ed Murphy. Uh, and uh, he was an aerospace engineer for the Air Force. Um, and when he was working on something called a rocket sled, which I don't have time to explain to you what a rocket sled is right now. It's kind of what it sounds like. But please Google it and then you will see what, if Huck my was born in the late 40s, early 50s, what he would have spent some time riding on, and that is a rocket sled. Um, uh, I learned this week that um, Murphy did not just have, uh, well, basically, he creates this law, 
anything that uh, can go wrong will go wrong. Um, at, at the time that he was creating this rocket sled, because uh, uh, part of his scientific process and part of the scientific process of the Air Force, especially at the time, um, was uh, to design things with defensive design. So we're designing things as if things will go wrong. If we're going to use these overseas or whatever, we're going to design them as if something's going to go wrong. And so we're kind of getting ahead of the game. And that's where his law comes from. Um, but I learned this week that Murphy also had other laws. Did you know this? Like, um, <laughs> this guy had a ton of, he wrote like, here are my laws about marriage. Here are my laws about laws. Here are my, it was like all these things. But he, he had, then he has just general laws in life. And Murphy's 12th law is this. Uh, whenever you set out to do something, something else must be done first. That's his law. Essentially, what he's saying is there is an order to how things are done. There's an order to how things go. Um, Have you ever in your life uh, done something out of order that did not benefit your life? Surely I'm not alone in this. Has anyone in this room ever run uh, in a race that they didn't train for? Anyone? Okay. Okay. One time, a few a few years ago, I ran in the glow trot, which I used to go through our church. And it was the night before we launched. So eight years ago, it was the night before we launched Spring Root Vineyard. And I was like, uh, yeah, I'll run a race. I'll run a 5K. And I, I was like, I'm just going to run with my kids. And that was the night I found out my kids are runners. Like very, very good runners. And I'm pushing hugging a stroller and I'm running after him. At some point I dropped my cell phone. I realized like halfway through, I go back and I'm like, it's five feet away. It's five feet away. I end up doing the whole, like the whole, half of the course twice. I run like five miles. I get shin splints and then I plant a church. It was like a great time. Really solid zero out of 10. Do not recommend. Um, so much to my dismay all throughout my life, this rule, uh, it applies to a whole lot of life. Uh, that there are steps and ways to do things, that before you do something, something else must be done. And I think faith is one of those things that this rule number 12 of Murphy, that it applies to. Like for all of the mysteries of faith, and there are many, many mysteries of faith, there are also a few things that go kind of like ordered steps. Um, Emily, will you throw the slide up here? We're going to use the slide behind me today as kind of a map to talk through different steps um, in a life of faith. Uh, a, a few years ago, I was at a dinner and my friend Dave Strunk, who pastors Church of the Redeemer, shout out to Church of the Redeemer, we love you. Um, they meet down at the high school, I'm pointing, as if you know where I'm pointing at. Um, he drew this map out for me on a napkin and it legitimately changed my life. It helped me so, so much. And many of you, as we've met, I have drawn this out for you on napkins or envelopes or any kind of piece of paper that I can find um, as you've tried to process things in your own life. Uh, and so I, I, I love this. It's very helpful to me. The map, it's something I've talked about around here before, and it's something I will talk about around here again because I think it's so helpful. Um, the map behind me comes from, we've kind of changed some of the words, but it is based in a book called The Critical Journey, if you're interested in more information on it. The book is by Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick. Um, or uh, it's also found in my most recommended book from this stage, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. There's a chapter called The Critical Journey um, about this. So um, as we consider uh, question, the question, is God with us? I think one of the most important things that we can do is something that we actually try to do a whole lot around this room, which is to take a few steps back and to see things from a wider view. 
And so my hope today is to do that, is to take a few steps back um, and offer you a wider view of your own life and your own journey as a follower of Jesus uh, in a way that I hope offers you a wider vision, uh, not just of your life, but as of grace and of hope. Um, But not just that, I'm also hoping to offer you a wider view um, and a more graceful view at other people's lives, at the people that you interact with and and have questions about or struggle with or love or or anything like that. So um, if you are here and you are not a Jesus follower, first off, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, And second, I think this could be really interesting to you because um, it may be kind of like a peek into the practice of Christianity on a really practical level uh, that may or may not be interesting. So, um, okay, a few things before we jump in that I'm going to go kind of step by step and talk through the different stages. Um, But before I get started, I want to say this. What we are talking about today is not at all like a checklist, Like even kind of. So all of you like type A, Enneagram 1s in the room, this is not a list of tasks. Like um, honestly, this chart behind me is not something that you have very much control over at all really. Um, It's called the critical journey because it is what it says. Every single step is critical. One must be done before another uh, can be done. And it's also a journey. Uh, Again, one that we don't have a lot of control over. This is not something to accomplish. This is something that happens to us. Not necessarily something we do, but something that happens to us. Okay, Um, so stage number one. Uh, at the at the very top up there, um, is uh, called awakening. Um, this is also in some places called the life changing awareness of God stage. Uh, in the evangelical church, it's oftentimes called uh, getting saved or salvation. Um, in uh, liturgical Protestants or or Catholic churches, uh, many people would say that this stage begins with baptism and or confirmation or first communion. Um, but this is the stage when we wake up to the presence and power and love of Jesus. Like waking up to his mercy and his love and our need for both of those things uh, to transform our lives. It's a, it's a waking up that also comes with this desire. I say transform our lives because it also comes with it. It's not just Jesus is wonderful. It's also Jesus is wonderful and um, I desire to live under his care. Uh, within his kingdom, a desire to to live toward him um, uh, under that care, under the rule and reign and care and mercy of the kingdom of God. Uh, For some of you uh, in this room, this was like a single moment, like a one time in your life. Some of you can like point back to the date of like on this day, my life changed in this way. I woke up to Jesus in this new and incredible way. And for others, um, and this is more of my journey, um, I've had these moments along the way. I don't have a single moment I can point back to, to like, this was the time. But I have these moments over time. I have this uh, prayer with my grandmother when I was tiny that I like remember vividly. And um, this, this interesting kind of mystical experience in the fifth grade around a campfire at a church camp that I hated every single minute of. Um, but, but then this thing happened. And, and I've had lots of these moments um, in the mountains, especially in Colorado and Western North Carolina. For me and maybe some of you, uh, this stage has been like a gradual multi momented journey toward the reality and the presence and the power of Jesus uh, around me and in my own life. So that's stage number one, awakening. 
Uh, Stage number two uh, is discipleship. Uh, This is the season of life and faith that's characterized by like a hunger and thirst uh, for God. Uh, To learn about him, to know what he's up to, to to know like all you can get your hands on. Um, uh, One of my good friends, Brooke, she talks about that when she was in high school, she became a Christian in high school. And she was like, the next thing I did was I just read the Bible all the time. Like I couldn't do anything but read the Bible. She said, she was like, I failed classes in high school because I couldn't pay attention to classes because I was reading the Bible. And my experience was not that at all. Um, that was hers, uh, but that was not mine. Uh, kind of like I woke up to Jesus gradually. Uh, stage two for me has been a gradual desire to learn more about who he is, about who God is, and, and how the world works uh, under his care. Uh, there is no way that this season, there's no like one way that this season looks in everybody's life. That's true for all of these seasons. There's not just like one picture or one way, uh, but this is the stage of the life of life uh, where we become more rooted in knowledge. Uh, we become more rooted in like the disciplines and the practices of faith. Uh, for many people, this is also a season when um, to, when you become really rooted in church or like a small group or a youth group or a Bible study, somewhere that you can learn alongside other people who God is and how the world functions under His care, uh, alongside other people. Uh, So that's stage number two. It's a good stage. Uh, That leads to stage number three. Um, And stage number three is, is, um, I'm calling it action, but it is is the doing stage. Uh, It's the time uh, when learning about Jesus transitions into an awareness of the work of the kingdom of God. Uh, It is waking up to the needs of the church, to the needs of people, to the needs of the world around you and beyond in a new uh, way, in a a kind of like Christian worldview way. Uh, It is a season of calling and contribution and productivity. Like we like this stage. I like this stage. I like to do stuff, so I love this stage. There's energy around it. It's like electric. There's like a buzz to stage number three. Um, I love it. Uh, And it's here in this season that we get involved in the active work of God. We say around here that we're joining God in the renewal of all things. It's a very stage three kind of thing to talk about. Um, uh, We're getting involved. It's where we take on the idea that we say a lot that we were made on purpose for purpose. Believing that God has invited us to join him in the work that he's up to in the world and renewal all over the world, um, but also in the places where we live and work and learn and play. Uh, Some of us will spend our entire lives trying to get back what we experience in stage two because it's so fun. It's so good. Um, After, or sorry, stage three. (laughs) After we get, after stage three, um, we hit something uh, uh, I'm affectionately calling the wall. You see the big giant line right down the middle. Um, The wall is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, The Psalms call the wall the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, The mystics call it the dark night of the soul. Uh, My favorite cultural theologian, Jay-Z, calls it hard knocks. Uh, Walls are something that every single follower of Jesus, and I would argue every single human being, at some point finds themselves smashing into. Uh, walls are like doors in our lives that when we walk through them, we can't ever walk back out of them. When you experience a wall, you, you, you never forget how it feels to experience 
a wall. A wall is the pain that you can't get around no matter how hard you try, that you can't reframe, that you can't put a pretty face on top of. No matter how much faith you have or how hard you try, you cannot make this undo itself. Uh, Often, but not always, uh, shattering life events lead us into walls. Um, health problems, like a scary diagnosis, or some of you in the room know that sometimes not getting a diagnosis forever is as scary as getting a scary one. Uh, moral failures, yourself or your own moral failure or someone you love. Uh, a, a divorce, your own divorce or someone you love. Mental health stuff, again, your own or someone you love. Uh, sometimes life happens and we find ourselves smashing into a wall. And then sometimes our reason for being in the wall is far less clear. Sometimes we end up one and we have no idea how we got there. Uh, a wall happens anytime uh, what we believe about faith and what we see or experience struggle to find congruence. And anything can cause that. Anything. I can't tell you how many people I've met with over the last seven years who have found themselves like deep, deep, deep in a wall. Uh, and, and the best they can get out is that it's because of the way the church has responded to things like politics or racism or a virus. It is hard to define a wall because every wall uh, is unique. They all look very different. But the best way I know how to describe it is this. If you've been in one, you know it. If you've been in one, you know it. It can be something that happens inside of you or outside of you. And whether the wall is overt or outward or overt and outward and clear or inward and hidden and confusing, the wall is the moment uh, that we all realize this faith or the way I'm doing this faith isn't working anymore. It doesn't work here. Uh, Which makes church a really complicated place when you're in a wall for loads of reasons. Uh, Songs, uh, faith, passing the peace. Some of you are like, oh, I was born in a wall. Um, (laughs) There are things that make it really hard. Um, But also in my experience is that churches don't always know what to do with a wall. Uh, In fact, the night that that my friend Dave first drew this on on a napkin for me, I was at a dinner with other church leaders, and he drew it out, and he gets to the wall. And another pastor said, oh, so our job as pastors is to keep people out of the wall. We just make sure it never happens. Uh, While walls are incredibly uncomfortable, sometimes excruciating realities, they aren't something to be avoided. Uh, The journey behind me, it's impossible without the wall. See, it's right in the middle. It's impossible without it. They are critical to a critical journey. Uh, We see walls all over the scriptures. It's, it's a biblical thing to see and experience. We have Abraham and Sarah. They wait uh, inside a wall for 25 years to have a baby. Uh, Job loses 10 children, all of his possessions, everything he has, his health in a day. Uh, David is in the desert running from Saul. Uh, we have the disciples standing at the crucifixion. And then Peter later that night standing around a charcoal fire pretending he never knew Jesus at all. And here's what we learn from the Bible uh, when it comes from a wall. We learn that you have uh, three choices that you can make when you find yourself in one. You can go backward, you can uh, bow out, or you can go through it. You can go backward, you can bow out, or you can go uh, through it. Uh, We can walk backward when we hit a wall. 
Uh, When we hit a wall, we can walk backward and we can go right back to stage two or right back to stage three. We know those. They're good stages. They're, They're comfortable stages. And so we find ourselves saying, if I just read a book or I go to a conference or I go to a camp or I do something, I can feel how I used to feel. And I just want to go back because I knew that and it felt very, very good. Uh, Statisticians say that 85% of evangelicals never walk through the wall and they spend their entire lives cycling between stages two and stages three over and over and over again. They're good. We know them. We love them. They feel safe. The second thing that we can do is we can walk away. We can abandon the whole path. Uh, The current buzzword for this is deconstruction. Uh, We see this all throughout the scriptures as well. Paul's uh, got a buddy named Demas, and we follow him on Paul's journey, and then finally Paul is like, he's out. He opted out. Uh, That's another option. And then the third option is we can walk through it. Uh, One of my least favorite things that my therapist ever says is that the only true way out of something is through it. I hate that. I hate that. But it's true for the wall. The only way to get to stage four, the only way to end up there is to walk through the wall. Uh, Stage four, uh, it says inward up here. uh, It's called the inward journey. Uh, If you're a literature nerd or you know about the hero's journey in literature, this is called the threshold. Uh, In some cases, the wall is what drives us to an inward journey. And in some cases, an inward journey drives us to a wall. Uh, Some of you in this room have experienced that. Uh, This is a season or stage that is an incredibly personal one. It is intimate, it is vulnerable, and it is so personal. And while it can be marked by grief or confusion or doubting or uncertainty, it is at the exact same time one of the deepest and most precious times in a journey with Jesus. It's a season with which Jesus is very well acquainted. He feels very near. Uh, The inward stage tends to be a place of healing from the past and processing the present and dreaming uh, for the future. It can be about building greater trust and intimacy with the Father, but also about learning about ourselves in a deeper and uh, more way that we've never really experienced before. Uh, Like stage two, it kind of mirrors stage two. Just uh, I think of it kind of like a spiral staircase. Stage four is a lot like stage two. It just is a little bit deeper into the process. Uh, it's, it's a learning that's a little bit less anxious, a learning that's a little bit less avoidant, and a learning that has a little bit more hope and honesty to it. That isn't a critique of stage two. Just you can't know some stuff till you've been through a wall. Uh, then we move on to stage five. Uh, stage five is outward. It's the journey outward. Uh, stage five is a season not just of experiencing greater freedom, but learning how to walk in it. Uh, In the book, The Critical Journey, the authors define freedom as uh, living a life without grasping. I love that definition. Uh, This is what makes or kind of defines this stage of faith. It is a freedom without grasping. Uh, Stage five mirrors stage three, the way four mirrors two. So much like stage three, uh, stage five is an active stage. It's a serving stage, but it's a serving, a kind of serving that, that takes the pressure off. Uh, After coming through a season of crisis or dark nights in body or spirit or in our families or in our faith, after the intense inner work of the journey through the wall, uh, we kind of begin to ease our way out of the cave, to poke our heads back out. But we come out of the cave a little bit different than we went into it. 
Uh, This is kind of a mysterious season. It's like uh, this relinquishing of our panicked grasp for control over our lives and our world. It's marked by empathy and mercy and grace for ourselves and others. In my experience at stage five, people's tables get longer and wider. Uh, John Mark Comer says that the gift of stage five is a radical acceptance both of your world and of yourself. Stage five says honestly, this is my body. This is my story, my life, my joy, my wound or my failure. This is what I've done or not done. This is what's been done to me or not done to me. This is my actual marriage. This is my actual singleness. It is both a radical acceptance of things as they are and a radical hope in the God uh, we believe is part of all, in, in the business of all things renewal. It is an intermingling of radical acceptance and supernatural hope that can't help but lead us outward into the world, back into places of giving and doing and serving. And they might even look similar to things that you've done before. Maybe before a while you sang in a a worship setting. And then after a while you still sing in a worship setting. But it's a little bit different. Uh, It's Peter on the shore in our scriptures around a different charcoal fire than his wall charcoal fire when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Lord, you know all things. Peter, feed my sheep. Uh, I love this description of stage five. It is the stage that we care less about what people think and we start to care more about other people. Okay, last stage. Spoiler, best stage. Um, Love. Uh, The last stage is is a life of love or a life transformed by love. Uh, This stage is marked by a deep and true awareness that the beginning of all things and the end of all things is love. That the beginning goal and the end goal of God and renewal and resurrection and kingdom is love. Uh, There's an Avett Brothers song called High Steppin' that was Huck's favorite when he was little because they wear uh, skeleton bones in the video and he liked skeleton bones. And he would sing this, there's this one line in the song and he would sing it louder than any other line and it says, the very last word is love. And he would like belt it. I can picture it. I think of that every time I think about stage six. Uh, John Wesley, one of the founders of Methodism, he describes stage six as the season that Christ's love becomes our love both toward God and others. Uh, John, 1 John 4.16 4, uh, says this, uh, We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in God live in love. God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. That's stage six. It's a season of deep surrender and obedience and rest and peace with God and with ourselves. And I'll be honest, I don't know a ton of people that, that are here. Like a ton of people that on this, I think we all end up here, but on this stage of the fullness of the kingdom of God, uh, when, when heaven happens there, there's all stage six. But on this side, I don't know tons of people who live here. Age is neither a predictor nor a guarantor of stage six. But the few that I have known, do you want to know what defines their life? It is gratitude. It's just like an unbelievable amount of gratitude. Like, it's beyond just being content. It's, it's being grateful. Like, oddly, you're still thinking about it later. They're so grateful. And gratitude tends to birth in them uh, like this irresistible sense of wonder. It's like all of the best parts of being a child and the wisdom of being an adult completely mixed, mixed around together uh, to become this person. They laugh easy. And they cry just as easy. 
Uh, my friend Doug, uh, Father Doug, who's with the Anglin Church, if you wonder why we do so many things with the Anglin Church, there are a lot of reasons for that. But one of them is I just want to be around Doug. Like I want you to be around Doug and I want to be around Doug because Doug lives in stage six. Um, last year he almost died. And when I say almost died, he might've technically died, but I don't know this. I don't know how you constitute that. Um, I think doctors would say he technically died, but then he wasn't dead anymore. So, um, but when he like comes back to life in the hospital, uh, he has one kidney left and that kidney died. Uh, and then like four months later, his house burned to the ground and he lost everything. This is like in a six month period of time. I'm not kidding. The man lost his, everything his, uh, he owned, his health. He lost so much. And I see him in Vienna like three weeks after his house burned down. And he had this fancy shirt on. And if you know Doug, he's wearing a fancy shirt. Like he loves a fancy shirt. And this one had just like paint splotches all over. It was every color you've ever seen in the world. It's just wild. If you know him, you can picture this shirt because all of his shirts look like this. Um, and so I walk up and I see him in the shirt and I said, ooh, Doug, did you get a new shirt? And he doesn't miss a beat when he looks me in the eyes. He says, well, Lindsay, all my shirts are new. And then he died laughing. And if you know him, his laugh is the loudest thing you've ever heard. And I just plain died. <laughs> like, your whole house, I told the man who lost every shirt he owned, did you get a new shirt? And then he hugged me, dying laughing. And then he, I look up and he has tears in his eyes and he says, Ash bought me, Ash is one of our mutual friends who's a pastor at Vienna. He says, Ash bought me my shirt, this shirt. And he said, and I just, don't you love it? He said, I just felt so loved that he knew I would love this shirt. That's stage six. Uh, she's not here, so uh, I can say this, but nobody tell her. If you know Sandy Browning, you know someone living in a stage six life. And the best advice that I can give you as a person is if you would like to follow Jesus for your whole life, find someone in this stage and spend time with them. Uh, read the books that they wrote or listen to the talks that they've given or interviews that they've done uh, or spend time with them if you know like a real actual uh, person because they are like signposts of where this whole thing is headed. Proof of what God can do in a life and with a life in the world. Okay, I'm closing up. Last thing. Uh, I asked Chris to make this slide uh, this week, and when I sent him an idea, I was like, will you just do it like a number line, like a, you know, like a straight line of those stages? And I'm so glad he didn't do that, one, because it didn't fit, but two, because that isn't really an honest look of how this journey goes. The journey looks a lot more squiggly. It looks a lot more like this. Um, these stages and seasons, they aren't necessarily linear. We, can, uh, we can't skip stages, but we can kind of bounce around. Once we've been in one, uh, we can go back to it and around over and over again uh, all throughout our life. Like, I wish I could tell you that uh, following Jesus means your life will only have one wall and you'll learn everything you need to know in it. But that's not true. Sorry. Welcome to church. It's not true. Okay, I'm going to get the band to come up, um, and we'll move into Selah. Um, but I, I want to say something uh, before. Um, well, first let me tell you for Selah, here's what I want to do. Emily, let's just leave this side up. We're going to skip the scripture. We're going to leave it up. And here's what I hope is that you will spend the next few minutes considering um, where are you? On this, if you find yourself, uh, where would you think you are? From an honest place, um, feel free to be like, where do I hope I am? But also, like, where am I? Um, and then also, maybe it would be worth considering, like, where are the people I know or the, or the people I love? Where are they? Um, 
But here's what I want to say before, uh, before we jump in and do that. Uh, if you are here and you would say that you are in a wall, um, I want to speak specifically to you for just a minute. And I want to say four things. I promise I'll say them fast. The first is, I'm so sorry. It is hard. And I am so sorry. Um, I wish there was another way, but there's not. And I love you enough to be honest with you. Uh, second, and I'm even sorrier to say this, it might take a while. It, it just might take a while. Um, for Peter, it was days. For David, it was 13 years. For Abraham and Sarah, it was 25. We won't talk about Job. We'll just play pretend. Um, here's the third thing. As much as you want to back out or bow out, the only true way through to get out of a wall is to go through it. Your time in the wall, I promise you, it will be as rich looking back as it is painful. Um, I want to read the folks that wrote the book, The Critical Journey. They say this about the wall. They say, the wall is a dark and sacred place, but it reeks of God. In the wall, we are vulnerable enough to listen to what God says, whether it's in the guise of other people's voices or God's voice or serendipitous experiences. Once uh, we believed that God is in the midst of the darkness with us, it can be a transforming place. We don't necessarily get cured or ease our pain or become saints, but we learn how to embrace our pain, how to stay with it, and how to learn what it's trying to teach us, how to look fear in the face and keep moving forward. The wall invites each of us to heal. Go through it. And the fourth thing, if you're in a wall, you are not alone. You are not alone and you have not been abandoned. It may feel that way. It will feel that way. But the wall is filled with scars of saints that have gone before you. Uh, we talked about the Bible one, but there are so many. Church mothers and fathers. Uh, Mother Teresa spent the last half of her life in a wall. St. John of the Cross, Bonhoeffer, Peterson, Brennan Manning, Barbara Brown, Taylor. I wish I could name all of them. And plenty of people in this room. Your pastor included, I have spent many days and many years and long seasons in walls. And while it may feel like God has fled the season uh, and prayer feels empty and hope feels cruel, he hasn't. Because here's what I know. My friend Justin Cook says this to me all the time. Our God is a lunar God as much as he is a solar one. I want to borrow from Barbara Brown Taylor. She says this, even when light fades and darkness falls, as it does every single day in every single life, God does not turn the world over to someone else's care. Even when you cannot see where you are going and no one answers when you call, this is not sufficient proof that you are alone. Darkness is not dark to God. To him, the night is as bright as the day. Let's pray. I'll take a few minutes. So Holy Spirit, I just invite your presence. We believe that you're present in this room. Sometimes it feels silly to ask, but I just, would you make us aware of it? Would you give us a, the, the courage to consider uh, this map, for lack of a better word? Would you give us courage to see ourselves as we truly are? Uh, will you give us grace to accept it? to not try to feel like we have to earn something or have some sort of checklist to be somewhere we're not? Would you show us the gifts of the season we're in? 
You show us the challenges, the places we'll get stuck, and the places we will soar and grow and learn and move and change. I pray that you would give us the courage to love people where they truly are. If we have people in our lives that are stuck in the wall, that can be sometimes as hard as being in it yourself. So would you give us the grace and mercy to allow people to be where they are, to not try to trust them in and, or try to rush them in and out of stages or seasons. And then for those of us in this room who are in a wall, and there are many, would you give us eyes to see that you are a lunar God, that you come into the cave and you come into the dark, as often as you're in the light, that no place is untouched by you. In the name we pray. Amen.